So right now we're going to open the scriptures. We're going to look at them. As I like to say, I want people to swim in the scriptures, get in deep. I'm going to talk, but I want you in there looking. And so if you have a Bible, pull it out with me. You'll see the scriptures on the screen, but I'd also like you to have a Bible if you can. We do have Bibles out that you, out in the, um, on the cart out there that you can take, take as your own. We have been in a series on the Psalms that's going to end today, but we are going to end the Psalms by starting a new series, a very short series in generosity and giving. Generosity and giving. I'm going to read our scripture and then we will begin. Our scripture is from Psalm 65. Psalm 65, it's kind of in the middle of the Bible, Psalm 65, starting in verse 9. The big numbers are the chapter numbers. The little numbers are the verse numbers. Psalm 65, beginning in verse 9. You, that is God, visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Let's pray. God, we want to offer our thanks to you, to offer our praise, to offer our worship. Uh, Lord, but uh, you know that we struggle. We have sin. We're human. We have frailties. And so, Lord, we need you to come inside of us right now and help us to open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, that we may thank you for who you are. For you are the God of all things. You're the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, existing forever. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray that right now, I pray that is the weight of our hearts, so that we may be free. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, a pastor tells the story of his young daughter. One day in Sunday school class, she learned a lesson. And that lesson that day was about the prodigal son. She was very interested in this lesson. The prodigal son, of course, is the parable from Jesus about how a younger son rejects his father's love, takes his inheritance, his money early, squanders it out in the big city, and then discover, then, then returns to his father only to discover that his true inheritance was not in physical riches and money and possessions, but in the riches of the abundant love and mercy of his own father. Well, this pastor's daughter listened intently to this story and what the Sunday school teacher was telling her. And when it was done, she was so excited, she rushed home to talk to her mother about it. Mommy, she said, do I have an inheritance? Her mom heard this and was overjoyed. 
that her daughter would ask about her inheritance in Christ, the eternal reward of salvation that she would receive with Jesus in heaven. It made her so happy. Sunday school is really teaching her something. Why, yes, she replied. Yes, honey, you do have an inheritance. And the little girl looked up at her seriously and said, then I want my money now. (laughs) There is nothing so revealing as money. There's nothing so revealing of who we are, of our identities as money, how we think about money, how we save money, how we spend money. Lies so close to our hearts. And that's what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we asked this morning, where is your heart? Where is my heart? Jesus always knew, he knew that money would be a problem for us. And so he talked about it constantly. In fact, Jesus talked about money more than anything else, more than heaven and hell combined. He knew on the one hand that handling money wisely, righteously, generously would lead to our peace and our flourishing. But dealing with money and possessions greedily, unwisely, unrighteously would always end up defrauding us of the joy we are meant for. So what do we do? How do we relate to our money and possessions in the way that God has called us. Now listen, this is not a comfortable subject. The fact that you're maybe here for the first time and it's like, great, the pastor's talking about money. But it should signal to us something. The reason it makes us uncomfortable is that we need to discuss this because money is so close to our hearts, our eye. Identities. And so we're going to spend just a few Sundays talking about this subject, talking about money and possessions, but more so about how they can be used to further the kingdom of Christ here and throughout the world. How should we think about money? Why is it such a difficult subject? How can I find financial peace? What does the Lord require? What can the Lord do through me if I give him my life? But to begin that little process that we're going to do, we need to begin at the beginning. We must focus not on the money itself, the possessions, the gifts, but on the giver. We must not focus first on our provision, but on the one who provides. And so this morning, I simply want to gaze, to gaze upon and revel in the very generosity of our God. And so we're going to do that through Psalm 65, verses 9 through 12. And here's our first point this morning. God gives. God gives. Psalm 65, if you could not tell, is praise. It is praise. It is adulation. It is worship. It is a shout of thanksgiving for the generosity of God. Or you could put it the other way, the opposite way. Apart from God's generosity, the psalmist realizes he knows that he would not survive. So verse 9, you, the Lord, visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. 
The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. Now, you know when the psalmist lived. It's thousands of years ago. And so he lived in a time when you knew, you felt the very foundations of your physical life. You knew where your food came from. You knew that well from which you drew your water every day. Yes, a farmer would till the ground. He would plant the seeds. But apart from God's care, this guy knows, this psalmist knows nothing would have grown. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. And so he is praising God for every drop of rain, every inch of soil. And now, thousands of years removed into the future, we have so much science, we know so much more is going on. The enriching is amazing. It is beautiful, incomprehensible. And yet it is hard for us today to relate. Hard for us today to relate. We are disconnected in a lot of ways from our physical existence, from where we get our food, our water. We are not as connected as the psalmist psalmist is to his physical life. We go to the grocery store, we walk in, and we see our food neatly laid out. Perfectly butchered portions. Perfectly packaged for us to consume. We do not need to know where it comes from to enjoy it. Yet the psalmist lived in a different time. He not only saw the hand of God working, but cherished it and was amazed by it. Verse 10, you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. He is praising because he knows apart from the Lord, he would die, that his family would perish, that his people would go off into famine. Now we can see how God's generosity unfolds. It's not just that he provides, but how he does it. God is varied in his giving. His generosity is complex and interesting. His benevolence, his goodness is comprehensive. It flows out from his character and does amazing, beautiful things. Verse 12, the pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. God doesn't just provide us a little pill that satisfies our needs of food and water. No, he gives to us in varied, amazing ways. He cares for us, and often in ways we do not expect. In ways we do not expect. I think my favorite verse is verse 11. Read the whole thing. You crown the year with your bounty. Now listen. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Interesting. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. What does that mean? The New Living Translation translates as the hard pathways overflow with abundance. So hard pathways. Okay. So in other words, God provides flourishing grains and flowers, not only in the soft prepared soil, The Lord provides in every area of life, including those places where the wagons would go over and smash the soil down, where it had become hard as rock. 
Even there, God grows. Even there, God brings forth life. And why does he do it? Why does he provide as he does? His generosity, simply and wonderfully, is a reflection of his character. He gives like he does because he loves to. Generosity is the overflow of his love inside the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They love each other, one in three, three in one. They are mutually self-giving and self-loving. And then out of the Trinity comes the very generosity of himself to his people. He cannot help but give profusely, abundantly. He can't help but to shower his people with good gifts. He is the life-giving, life-sustaining, life-joying God. My favorite commentator, Derek Kidner, says this. He says that the earth is partying. The whole land has turned out in its best as if to sing and keep festival. I just want to say one more thing. God provides his generosity, his provision, also in the times when we do not have. And what I mean is that God gives in gen- generously when we need it. He gives to us when we need it. So verse 11 says, you crown the year with your bounty. You crown the year with your bounty. So the psalmist is talking about, he's relating to us something that does not come naturally to us. He is trusting the Lord with the timeline for farming. He is trusting the Lord with the timeline for his own life. He is trusting God to provide what he needs when he will need it. You know what farming is like. It is slow and deliberate, and it never goes the way you expect. A farmer in the United States in Kansas said this once about the difference between city folk and farming folk. Most city folk I know expect each other to be better than the last. They think it's normal to get an annual raise, to earn more this year than you did last year. As a farmer, I have good years and bad years. It all depends on the rain at the right time. Dry days for harvest. No damaging storms. Some years we have more. Some years we have less. He is not complaining. But I think that we do sometimes in our hearts. We have a hard time taking on that perspective. As he says, we want our raises right when we want them. We expect promotions right when we want them. We expect new and better homes, babies, marriages, whatever it is, right when we want them. But God provides according to his timeline, doesn't he? He gives us what we need when we need it. And guess guess what? Sometimes that is his generosity. God is generous to us sometimes by making us wait. We need droughts to be thankful for the rains. We need hunger to be thankful for the food on our tables. Make no mistake, God is always working. He's always providing. Even when he's not giving exactly what we want, when we want it, he is always 
providing. Friends, take five minutes this week. Sit down at a computer or a journal. Write down the ways God has provided for you. How God has been richly generous to you. Years ago, when my wife and I owned a house, it was, we bought it in 2007. And if you know anything about the market, I think just in the States, maybe it was worldwide, but at least in the United States, it was very bad. We bought it at the worst possible time. And so immediately that house became a millstone to us, frustrating to us, difficult to think about, made us anxious. And one night we sat down to dinner and we had a very young daughter at the time. She's 15 now. She was two or three. We're teaching her how to pray. And we said, Elizabeth, how would you like to pray tonight? So she closes her eyes. She, she folds her hands and she says, God, thank you for our house. In that moment, I realized the Lord had provided. Where I was grumbling, I had provided. Even in our lowest moments, we can find reasons to be thankful for God is the giver. Two, God owns. God owns. How can God be generous? It's a strange question. How is he able to provide us all that we need? It's not just simply that he wants to do it. I want to give you all millions of dollars. I want to do it. It's not going to happen. God can, though. Why? Because he is God. He is the creator, provider, and owner of all things. Verse 9, one more time. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. Now listen. The river of God is full of water. The river of God is full of water. So this is saying not just that God provides the water. It is saying that he is the water. Now, I don't mean that God is the water in the pantheistic sense, as though God is everything. What I mean is that God creates from his own self, from his own bounty. He creates from nothing into everything. The river of God. They are full. They are overflowing. And so that means that God is not some aquifer that can dry up. He is not a lake that can run out. God is not a well that ever empties. This is very specific language. The psalmist says he is a river. And he is a river with no end. Everything that we have comes from the Lord and it comes from him because he owns it. It is all his in three ways. He's owner. First, he is creator. He is the creator. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by him, this is Jesus Christ, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is creator. Second, he is sustainer. You see this in the second verse, Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, there's philosophers who believe that what God did, yes, God is real, but he could not actually care about creation and, him and his people. He sets the world in motion, lets it go, and then never thinks about it again. 
That is not what the scriptures teach. We, we teach, the scriptures teach that the Lord is sustaining things at every moment of every day. There is nothing that is happening apart from the Lord's care, sovereignty, and power. I love this line from Martin Luther, the great reformer, talking about baby Jesus. He who upholds the world with his power was nourished with the milk of Mary. If God is the creator and sustainer, then of course he is the owner. If he creates it and then sustains it, then he is its owner. And we see this throughout the scriptures. I'm going to give you a litany of verses that talk about this because I want you to feel it. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Deuteronomy 10.14, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Leviticus 25.23, the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Psalm 50.10, the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all the moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. And then Job 41 sums this up well. Job 41.11, who has given to me, who first has given to me that I should repay him, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Is that the God that you praise? Is it the God that you wake up to? On days that are hard, on days when you do not want to get out of bed, on days when you do not have enough money, on days when you are struggling with sickness, on days when you are struggling to know when the next thing is going to come your way. The thing to give you life. Is God the owner, your God? Abraham Kuyper, the theologian, said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Who is owned by God? Not just what? Who is owned by God? We will understand this and believe it and begin to trust it when we realize and understand that he also owns us. God is our creator, our sustainer. Psalm 100, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Acts 17, 25, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, I want to jump here. I want to jump, like, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible that puts me in my place when I remember thinking or talking about money is that God does not just make us, he does not own us, just own us, but he allows us, he gives us the power and the strength and the ingenuity and the gifts to make money at all, to provide for ourselves at all. Deuteronomy 8.17 says this, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. 
You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Could that be any more straightforward? God is the God over our ingenuity, our tenacity, our abilities, our discipline. He is the God over the family we're born into, the business connections we make, the breaks we receive throughout our lives, the spouse we marry, the opportunities we create and take advantage of, the state of the economy. God is sovereign over all of it. When John Wesley's house burned to the ground, he was another great preacher of the past. His house burned to the ground. Someone come from town came running to him and they said, John, your house has burned down. And he reportedly responded, no, the Lord's house has burned to the ground. God is the giver. God is the owner. Last point, God sows. God sows. So we've said that God is the supreme owner of all things and all things flow out of his capacity. Out of his capacity, he is wonderfully, beautifully generous. He loves to give. He can't help but shower his children with wonderful gifts and care. Now, of course, it's to keep us alive. We know that. That's really what the psalmist is talking about. He makes me to live happily. I survive because he helps me to survive. He makes me to survive. But we need to push one step further as we head into this series. God is generous so that we can too be generous. So there's a lot of farmland near our home. You know that in this area, lots of farmland. We just live up in Jerbis and Erchis. And one day we're walking with my mom. She had been visiting in town and they noticed some new crops in the fields around our house. Crops we had never seen before with green, beautiful green leaves and these little pretty white flowers. And we were trying to figure out what could that crop be because we weren't going to go pull it up out of the ground to see. Well, my mom had this little app that she, could, that she has on her phone that she could go up and take a picture of any plant or any insect and it would decipher that. It would go back to some cloud and say, this is what you are looking at. And so my kids ran to this crop, took her phone, took a picture. They came back and when I said, well, what is it? And I said, it's potatoes. Potatoes? That's what potatoes look like? We had no idea. I want you to know what is growing in your life. I want you to know what is underneath the ground, what God is doing by providing for you. He showers us with good gifts to help us to live, but not just that. We are to be a conduit. He is generous to us so that we can be generous to others. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, also taking up this idea of planting, of harvesting, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. But then he says this, you will be enriched in every way what's he going to say? 
This answer must redound in our hearts. It must echo in our minds and our souls. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God blesses us so that we can bless others. He is generous so we can be generous to others. And when we do this, when we live out that calling, we bring joy and thanksgiving to our own hearts and to the world. That is great. That is rich. That is treasure. Far greater than jewelry or stock options or sport cars. Joy and thanksgiving in the Lord of hosts is far greater than any bonus check, home, or lavish retirement. God provides so that we can provide so that we can be happy. Now, what is the ground of this? I said before that we often forget what the ground of our physical life is. That is not as important as understanding the ground of our spiritual life. The Lord does not just provide us food and water. He did not just give of his bounty sustenance. He gave himself completely unto death. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Friends, I want you to understand what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. At the cross was infinite generosity. At the cross was provision without end. And this generosity is more than enough for us to be generous to others. As I said, IBC Jerbees was planted decades ago, and its mission was to minister to one of the most internationally diverse populations in the world. And since then, it has become even more diverse. And so as I understand it, the mandate of this church, of the people who will join this church and what, what she is doing, the mandate is to share Christ, to baptize, to train disciples, and then send back out in the same way with the same mandate. And so we are talking about generosity today because we are starting a new season of ministry and to do that, to accomplish that, we must be generous. We must be generous with our time, our money, our prayers, and more. And so I ask you to open your hearts. Open your hearts with me this season and ask the Lord what he has for you here right now. If it's only for two years, what does he want for you? Let's pray. God, the world is in party. It is in joy. It is in praise. I ask now that you would help us to do the same. That we would just be like the trees of the field, clapping their hands. That with our lives, with everything that we have, that we would remember that you are the creator, sustainer, and owner. And that by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, you have made us alive with him, giving us our very salvation.
Lord, I pray for those who are on the fence about this whole Christianity thing, maybe even about belief in God. Would you be kind to them? And would we be kind to them as we wait, as you help them? May we be patient. And Lord, for those believers who are coming back to church, maybe for the first time in a while, Lord, I pray that you would press upon them the need to give themselves, help them, guard them, strengthen them. And Lord, for our leaders, for those who are helping guide this church, give us passion. Give us passion to reflect your joy and generosity and kindness. May we truly be people of the cross. Lord, we ask all of this in your name. We love you. We praise you. Amen.